<laughs> okay, now we can start. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Jordan Malley. Jordan, great to see you. Through our 670 score scope. Yep, where is he? And it's right over there, Bill. Did Matt Peck yeah. get a signed copy of that book? No, Matt Peck, he didn't know. No. I'll talk to D. Rose. Yeah, you got you. Matt, well, you will be getting your book soon. <laughs> Left side three. Remy. Remy. Got it. Levine, turnaround jumper up. Got it. Onions. Baby onions. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Locked on Bulls starts now. You can just see the vibe. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us, 331-979-1369. Matt, happy Friday to you. We had Bulls basketball for the first time in what feels like forever. And I know it's not traditional in the sense of Bulls basketball getting an actual game. This is the first time we've actually gotten to see the guys chop it up a little bit. And I get it was a scrimmage and it was only 2-11, but I got to be honest with you. I had some goosebumps and I was very excited yesterday seeing the Bulls tweeting out all those clips and the highlights just from that scrimmage and seeing guys actually back on the floor playing together. But how you doing? How's your Friday going? And what did you think about the Bulls scrimmage yesterday? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Happy Friday to you as well. Um, looking forward to the weekend. And yeah, man, it, yesterday was a great day. Uh, just, I, it just I had this feeling of just like brimming with hope and optimism just from watching the Bulls play five-on-five scrimmages against each other. And maybe it was coupled with the fact that I also dropped on dropped off my uh, my ballot for the election um, at my my Chicago drop spot here in, in my neighborhood. So like I participated in democracy and feeling like I was doing my part to try to save democracy. And I got to watch the Bulls play five on five basketball. So I was just like, I don't know. I had this feeling all day yesterday that I was like, there is some silver lining of hope somewhere out there. There is a new dawn on the horizon. It was an absolutely beautiful day here in Chicago, too, for those that don't live in this area. But, I mean, it was like one of those classic perfect fall days. There was a little bit of rain at the end of the day, but, I mean, you couldn't get any better than that. Uh, But watching the Bulls play for the first time, Matt, I wrote a couple of notes down. Like, again, we were chopping it up before we actually started to record. And I told you, you know, I don't think we need to spend 30 minutes on it. But I also think it's it's important for us to mention that the Bulls are actually in some form playing a game for the first time in God eight months almost eight seven months. The first and most important thing I wrote down, Matt, about watching this and what I took away from it was, dude, if Zach Levine improved it all on his stop, his stop and pop three pointer, and if he improved it all at finishing at the rim, it's game over, dude. It, it is game over. Zach Levine's an All Star next year. His shot looks so silky from three and just the ease at which he just stops and pops. And I'm not talking just straight from the line either. I mean, he knocked down two threes yesterday that were from easily, what, four or five steps away from the three point line. So if that continues, man, I am I'm fully excited for the Zach Levine experience next year. Yeah. And I mean, I think we started to see that part of his game develop. Uh, And by that, I mean the range that you were just referring to in certain games when Zach really went off this past season. um, You know, obviously the the Charlotte game where he hit 13 threes 
Um, and, and then another close one later in the season, I want to say it was maybe the game against OKC in Chicago where the Bulls had that, you know, a comeback that fell short. Uh, but like there were a couple of threes in that game in the fourth quarter where Zach just pulled up from like, you know, what do you call it these days from Steph range from Dame range. And like, it looks like he is very comfortable shooting from that distance, which is very awesome. The, and you mentioned finishing at the rim, that one finish in particular that I, that certainly jumped out to me was when he drove left and finished with a beautiful up and under a uh, little reverse to the right side. Um, you know, kind of using his body as a shield. Um, it was a beautiful finish. And I also noticed, and I'm I'm wondering if you did too, it looks like Zach put in some work in the weight room this off, this extended offseason. His shoulders and his arms look way bigger than they did last season. Did you notice that? Yes. And you know what? I thought about this in the context of he probably was trying to get more his lower body and his legs right the first couple of years he was here, especially rehab, rehabbing after that ACL. But now that he feels comfortable, continues to work on that, he can go to the other parts of his body that make him stronger, quicker, easier to shoot. And yeah, he looked absolutely ripped. And again, it's all this training camp. And I mean, we're going to see it again. We're going to see it again, Matt, when the NBA season officially starts. We're going to see what guys were busting their ass, especially from the Delete 8 group that we haven't seen basketball at all from them in eight months. When this season kicks off again for the first time, you're going to see which players put in the work it actually benefited from 10 months off and the ones that just decided, you know what, I'm just going to hang back and uh, see what happens and not really train. And I think Zach Levine's going to be in the, the former group, not the latter. And I mean, I'm very, very excited. If this is all this all holds true. Anything else besides Levine going off? What else did you notice that you liked from this scrimmage so far? I mean, I think to me, the, the clear winner outside of Adam Amin and Stacey King, who had a lot of fun and I can't wait, cannot wait to have Amin and Stacy on the call together moving forward for Bulls play-by-play and color commentary. Um, Kobe White was the winner. Like the standout winner of these scrimmages that the Bulls shared with their fans. He was not only the same Kobe who could, you know, use his step back to create space and knock down threes, uh, including a couple of game winners. Um, he was adept at using screens better than he was uh, that we saw his rookie year. Just again, small sample size of a, a scrimmage, but I noticed that. I noticed that he was confident and smart when he was pushing the pace in transition. He had a couple of really beautiful dimes, including an and one to Wendell Carter Jr. He looked like a strong decision maker and a guy who was really setting the tempo offensively. And for a fan base that has been wondering, can Kobe White be our playmaker or does this roster still need to add a primary playmaker? Again, just you know, prefacing all of this with, yeah, it's an in, intra-squad 5 of 5 scrimmage, so let's not get too carried away. That certainly was a very promising sign to me. Kobe White looked like he was running that court. He's a baller. He balls. I'm so, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to see what's in store for Kobe White in this second year. You know, I was thinking about it more and more too, Matt, and I know, I know these two players aren't similar in terms of body style. They play similar positions, but they're not the same guys, but having the success Billy Donovan had with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and his move from the Clippers to OKC, watching him be able to have success there, and while I credit a lot of that mentorship and being able to play alongside a future Hall of Famer and Chris Paul, 
that probably helps too. But I'm excited to see what Billy Donovan wants to do with Kobe White and how he works both him and Zach Levine in that backcourt. And same thing with Chris Fleming too. Like if Chris Fleming stays around for a while, we got the reports about him kind of just backing off of what you know, implementing any ideas or any of his processes or strategies into the Bulls team over the course of the last half of the season because he was tired of Jim Boylan and Jim Boylan, frankly, wasn't listening to him either. So I'm excited to see what Chris Fleming actually does when he's got free reign to say, here's my opinion. Here's what we should implement. Here's why I think you would be successful because we saw him be able to build out a lot of great guards too with the Nets in his time with Kenny Atkinson there. So giving Chris Fleming and also Billy Donovan the chance to work with some of the young guards that we have on top of it it should be pretty easy for Billy Donovan right away to use Zach Levine to his best to his strength and Billy Donovan I think is going to get the most out of both of those guys I was excited to see that about Kobe too anything else from this scrimmage though that you picked up on or that you laughed at I mean you mentioned Jim Boylan and something I laughed at you know what else we saw Kobe White do in the in one of those scrimmages Knocked out a mid-range jumper. (laughs) (laughs) Ding dong, the gym is dead. Our young player who was so effective and efficient in his mid-range game in college, who was then told upon arrival at the NBA level, you're not allowed to take that shot. Took and made a mid-range jump shot. So that was encouraging. Uh, The other player that I did want to touch on briefly, and I know that we've given him a hard time uh, on this podcast on various occasions, but it's mostly just because of his lack of availability. I thought Chandler Hutchison looked pretty spry and pretty active in a lot of what we saw in those scrimmages. The same stuff that we've always known about him since the Bulls drafted him. A guy who has great size for his position, rebounds the ball well, runs the floor well, uh, can finish in transition, can make some, some decent plays in transition, but has just been, since his arrival, to the NBA marred by injury after injury after injury. So, like, I'm pumping the brakes. I'm not getting all excited because Chandler Hutchison is healthy right now and looked pretty good in a scrimmage when we still have, like, four months until we get actual competitive Bulls basketball. And who knows if he'll still be healthy by then. But I was impressed with Hutch yesterday. What about you? I do agree on your point about Hutch. I think it's easy for Bulls fans to write him off just because we haven't seen a whole lot of him. And then... Pair that with the fact that you had Stacey King calling him young Pip and people didn't really like that either. And I think he got an unfair advantage too, going all the way back. If you want to put even more context in it, in it, that he was the promise. That was what he was considered before he even had stepped on a floor in a Bulls uniform. So all of that built up, I think, gave rubbed Bulls fans the wrong way. But I do agree with you. I think what Billy Donovan wants to do with this team is be long and athletic and play both sides of the ball. I think Chandler Hutchison can do that. Now, it's just a matter of he was already kind of behind the ball, having to be a 22-year-old and played four years in college. You don't have as much time to develop and to rise up the ranks as some of these young guys who come in at 19. So he's a little bit behind the ball and the injuries didn't help either. But I mean, some of the cutting he was able to do last year when he was healthy, the defense that he was able to provide too. We didn't see as consistent three-point shooting as we thought we were going to see from him in his first two years, but if he could provide any little bit of offense, I think the athletic ability and the defense are already there. It's just a matter of him staying healthy. So yes, I'm very excited to see what he can bring because that second unit needs a score and they need somebody who can play two ways. And if Otto stays healthy and is a starter, then you've got Chandler to back him up. And who knows, maybe they draft another wing here in this draft. And so you're loaded in depth. Matt, we were talking three years without any wing depth and we might have three possible options if they stay healthy. So cross your fingers on that, right? And Jordan, we 
we got to we we saved the best for last when it comes to the scrimmage uh, action yesterday. Denzel Valentine, game winner. Denzel called game just like he did in the summer league championship. Booyah! <laughs> oh man, I do this. Oh, Denzel Valentine. The, the man who is a legend All for we hitting. All we were missing was Denzel getting ejected from an intra-squad scrimmage for talking trash too much. Oh, man. You know, he just plays. Denzel just kind of plays, man. He just has a feel for it. <laughs> That's true. He's got a feel for knocking down game winners and games that don't mean a whole lot. I mean, I guess the Summer League. Forever had the Summer hey, League. If You know, the people who say that are the people who've never won an intra-squad scrimmage championship of the Delete 8 mini-bubble. That's true. That is 100% true. I saw a report out there that said that Valentine's a free agent. He's not a free agent. The Bull, He still hasn't accepted his qualifying offer, or the Bulls haven't offered him one yet. Bulls haven't extended, right. That's Correct. That's still like, on the horizon. That hasn't happened yet. The new NBA timeline is all messed up. Um. Yes. So the draft was actually supposed to be two days ago. It was supposed to be October 14th. Today at 4 p.m. was supposed to be the deadline for qualifying offers. That got moved back along with the draft, so there's still some time for the Bulls to decide on him and Chris Dunn. If the Bulls offer him a qualifying offer of $4 million and Denzel says, you know what, I'm going to go test free agency, the Bulls will have a chance to sign or match anything that he's offered, but I would say if the Bulls are going to offer him, he's probably going to sign it for the one-year tryout. Because uh, I think he's going to have a vital role here of, again, of one of the, one of several guys on this team that just needs to stay healthy. Just stay healthy and stay on the floor so you can actually see what you have. Um, but yeah, he had a game winner. You know, I always said Denzel, I think, has a great basketball IQ and can be used if he's put in the right position to play. And Jim clearly did not do that. And Fred, to an extent, didn't even do that well. So it's interesting because we have a whole lot of guys we don't know a whole lot about and they've been here for two or three years so is it going to be an exciting season once we actually get real basketball again i yeah i think so man and again that's like that was the the teasy part of watching these scrimmages yesterday because the fan base i think by and large is very optimistic about the fresh start now you know once everybody got their feelings out about Jimmy as we watched the Heat make their playoff run all the way to the finals and Jimmy performed so well, it's like, okay, we can close that chapter. And I think people are, are ready and excited for a fresh bull season. And again, this was just the latest example of the, the, the never-ending waiting game that we're playing right now because we're excited about the new front office and we're excited about the new head coach. And we're eager to see what they do in the draft, but we also really just want to see this team play basketball again because it's been forever. Um, so I think it was good for the fan base, and I think it was good for the players themselves to be able to experience that uh, and just get out and do some some running and some some five on five stuff because that's a really really long layover, and we're still only like two thirds done with it. I keep getting asked by a lot of people that kind of you know they saw the NBA season's quote unquote officially over. Uh, keep asking me they're like oh when do you think the the new season's going to start i think i've given three different answers in three different weeks uh three weeks ago i said maybe like if we're super optimistic thinking christmas and that's what adam silver said so i'll listen to him two weeks i said eh, it's probably not going to start till after the first of the year now i'm even thinking that we might not see games till probably the first week of february 
Uh, I think the NBA still, I'm, I'm on that theme of, I think the NBA, if there's any indication that they can allow some capacity of fans into the stadiums for 2021, they're going to push the season. They're going to continue to push the season. There's no reason not to at this point. And again, I don't think the league can afford to, like teams and owners don't want to afford having to play another season without any fans in the sands. That would be brutal for them in terms of money and dollars. And it honestly would trickle down. It would be brutal for the players as well. But what are you thinking? Like, where's your mind at as, as far as when you think the season will be, whether you're optimistic or you're a little bit pessimistic right now? Right now, optimistically, I'm thinking, and this is something that I'm hearing a lot of people throw around there, uh, beat reporters, NBA executives that are sourced but anonymous, uh, everybody that's heavily involved in these talks that that will continue uh, to figure out where we go from here scheduling wise. My optimistic uh, set date for when I would like to see the next season start is January 18th, which is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, um, which is not quite as hurried as trying to get a Christmas Day kickoff, which was the very, very optimistic outlook uh, at the onset, which even, you know, the the league and the players association agreed that there is a minimum eight week, uh, you know, like advanced notice of when the first day of the NBA season will start. So like that, like that's already making Christmas, a Christmas day kickoff, um, like tight, like that. They would have to settle upon that very, very soon. I don't think that's very likely especially knowing everything that the league and its players just went through from inside the bubble, doing everything they were doing with the Black Lives Matter movement and and the, the social injustice in this country right now, it would be a symbolic uh, addition to a logistically feasible solution to start the next season on MLK Day. That's what I'm hoping is the optimistic goal. Um because I'm not going to lie, I would be very disappointed if we have to wait all the way until February or some are saying even, God forbid, early March to get this thing rolling again. Uh, but, but you know, I was listening to a podcast recently um, with, I think it was a crossover with Windhorst and, and Zach Lowe and their podcasts about uh, other things they can do. Um, I think maybe Bobby Marks was involved as well. And they're talking about... Um, you know, a lot of divisional games, a lot of consecutive home games, back-to-back home games, doing things to try to tighten up the schedule as much as possible because the league took so many strides over the last few seasons to alleviate things like, you know, back-to-backs and four games and five nights or three games and four nights and stuff like that. But they might have to, if they want, maybe earlier than some of the players feel like they're ready to start. That's a good point. That's interesting. I'm thinking about it in terms of, do you think they're like schedule wise, do you think that there's a possibility that the NBA is running some type of analytics to see Western conference, Eastern conference, if the overall analytics tell us that both conferences are pretty balanced, let's go ahead and just eliminate playing cross-conference play and let's just go geographic at this point. And like you were even saying, like you could you could break it down in where you're only playing your... The first time we're talking about division since Jim Boylan brought it up, saying he wants to win the Central Division. Uh, using your Central he Division... He wants to average 35 assists <laughs> a game, Jordan. Don't forget that. <laughs> He's... Oh, yeah, that dude is fucking unbelievable. But the point about divisions is more geographic locations. So if you are playing you know, two games over three days in the same city and then crossing over, going to their city and playing two games again. That makes some sense. 
I think it gets back to how what's the competitive balance like between the Western and the Eastern Conference. And I'm just thinking it off the top of my head, depending on where free agents move this summer. I think the Western Conference is still pretty stacked, uh, even though, you know, you got Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant coming back uh, in the Eastern Conference. You still got some stars here in the East, but I think there's more bottom feeders in our conference than there is in the Western Conference. Yeah, and, and that's something that uh, Tom Haberstroh was talking about. He made an appearance on the Bulls Talk podcast with Casey Johnson uh, that actually I think just dropped earlier this morning, Friday morning. And Haberstroh was talking about some of those similar things as far as a lot of division games for the sake of you know, minimizing travel and the fact that that would be certainly an advantage to certain Eastern Conference teams as opposed to these divisions in the Western Conference that are just juggernauts where – if you're like like if you're the Sacramento Kings and you're just like okay we're gonna play a bazillions division games you're fucked. Whereas for the Bulls, as, and this is what Haberstroh pointed out, it could be extremely advantageous, especially for a team trying to do uh you know a big jump start to like you know retool the rebuild and get uh, their first big leap back in towards rel you know uh, relativity and and contention. If the Bulls are playing a bunch of division games against the likes of, okay, yeah, you got to play Milwaukee a bunch of times and they are still going to have Giannis and they're still going to be awesome. But other than that, Indy's kind of a toss-up. We don't really know what's going to go on with them right now. Is Oladipo going to stay? Are they still going to be as good as they were this past season? And then outside of that, you play the Pistons and the Cavs a bajillion times. Like that is... A, opportunity for this Bulls team who couldn't beat anybody above 500 last season, but could beat the bad teams on occasion to stack up a lot more wins. To retool, not rebuild. I was thinking about that and too, and it like even so if Detroit doesn't trade away Blake Griffin, I still, and he comes back healthy, I still think they're a competitive matchup for the Bulls. They always give us a hard time too, for whatever reason over the last couple of years. And thinking about it too, like Indiana, if if they stay somewhat put, or like you were saying, even if they if Oladipo gets traded, or maybe they even trade some bonus, or Miles Turner doesn't decide to re-sign there, things could happen with that Indiana team, and they're not as good as they were before. Uh, your big matchup would be against Milwaukee, and that would be the only suck. That would be the only thing that would suck about going to division and local play. But maybe at the same time, if you look at it in, in more opti optimistic light, it's a chance every what two weeks every three weeks to test yourself how good did you get how did you progress through the season and your litmus test is a team that should have made it to the eastern conference finals should have got passed and should have been an nba finals contender again they drowned out in the playoffs but still with the with an back-to-back -back mvp and Giannis having him on out on the floor along chris middleton there's still one of the favorites in the east again next year so that'd be a good litmus test for the bulls and saying like where are we at are we making progress throughout this season and then Absolutely. you get to beat the shit out of the Cavs. And and it's and it's crazy to think about, but if you recall, Jordan, the 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 Jim Boylan Bulls had two games against the Bucks this season that they were in, and like they were in it not just for a half, but like in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter. Remember the Daniel Gafford game, like his first real minutes of the season against the Bucks, and Gafford had like twenty points in the first half, and then didn't see the court at all in the fourth quarter for whatever Jim Boylan reason that he made up. Like the Bulls had a couple of winnable games against Milwaukee when nothing was going right this past season. So it would be cool, as you said, to kind of use that as a measuring stick if they end up playing them a bunch of times throughout the season. I was just looking at Daniel Gafford's game logs from last year and just trying to take a look to see 
where he was playing in that Milwaukee game did stick out to me. I'm trying to look back at the stats here and see. Here we go. Milwaukee. So they played him November 18, 2019. Gafford was 10 for 12 from the field. He had five rebounds, one assist, two blocks, and 21 points in 20 minutes, 20 and a half minutes. Holy shit. Yeah, that was his best game of the season. Uh, So you're spot on. And like, I think the Bulls match up well with teams like that in an ideal world where everybody comes back and plays healthy and all of a sudden the chemistry is decent. I think the Bulls are a decent matchup for Milwaukee and maybe Carter's improved as well because we've seen flashes of greatness from Carter too on the defensive end. If he can lock down Giannis, saw him get block Giannis in huge spots too. I'm excited. Ah, Jordan, it's not it's not Wendell who's locking down Giannis. It's Archie. Remember? <laughs> oh my God, I do remember that. I, I need like a big blown up, like high quality picture of Archie getting back down by Giannis from that game. I just need to Although, hang that on my wall. I will say Archie's hair looks flawless in <laughs> in those scrimmages when he's running up and down the court and that hair is just flowing everywhere. Oh my gosh, what a heartthrob! <gasps> Uh, before we get out of here, kind of went off on a different pace, but that's good. We just kind of give you an update for anybody thinking about like, all right, well, when are we actually going to see a season? Um, Matt, I'm curious with uh, Daryl Morey being out, are you having any thoughts than you did a couple days ago about James Harden? Meaning in, in relation to the Bulls and a potential trade? It could be, or just in relation to him being dealt at some point this offseason. Man, um, you know, obviously, that's what everybody's talking about now. Um, whether or not Maury leaving will have an effect on that. I kind of think it was. Didn't everybody already kind of sense that that, that Maury was on his way out, and and it wasn't just Mike D'Antoni, but you know, if if this Rockets experiment with Westbrook and Harden falls flat, that uh, well, everybody's just going to move on. Um, because you know, I wasn't really surprised by the Maury news. Um. As far as whether or not his departure affects what the Rockets do with Harden and or Westbrook, I you know I can't say right now. What I do know is that that team is in just a terrible position as far as present and future. When you talk about the money that they have committed to those two guys, the other money they have committed to Eric Gordon, and the just empty vault of non-existent draft picks because of all these trades that they've made to put themselves where they are now. It's not a pretty situation, and whoever they bring in to fix it is going to have their hands full. And maybe that will involve trying to get rid of one of the contracts of Harden or Westbrook or, to a lesser extent, Eric Gordon. I feel like, if anything, they might try and move Gordon and see if they can make Harden and Westbrook work one more one more year. Um, does it change anything that I feel about a, a Bulls fans perspective of wanting those guys no it I mean Maury's departure doesn't change that at all for me I think it does start to open up the possibility about the Rockets just reshaping and retooling if they don't feel like this Westbrook Harden experiment is going to work obviously if they do it for one more year Westbrook and Harden are both going to pick up their player options they're both for 47 million in 2022-23 yes I said 47 million apiece so that's going to happen if they decide to run it back one more year. It's really, you're running it back for two more years. You still have Eric Gordon through that, but nobody else signed. So I guess in, in a weird world, you could build 
out a team in 2022 in the summer, plucking tier three players and building that around Harden, Gordon, and Westbrook. But yeah, I think the likelihood of Eric Gordon getting traded this offseason is probably way higher than it is Harden. Westbrook is being rumored all over the place, so maybe they try to trade him instead. But like, again, I don't like Westbrook would just be a contract dump at this point, right? Maybe you get a little bit something back, but 44 million and then a player option for 47 million over the next two years. I can't see the Rockets getting a whole ton for him. So if you're really trying to change this thing around, like Harden's your best piece. It's the same thing that the way we were talking about with Zach Levine. People are going to be interested in your best piece and what's best for your team moving forward if you're if you're going to move a guy like Harden or Westbrook. Might as well get the best pieces for him and try to deal him as opposed to just having to take more junk back for Westbrook. It doesn't help you in the, the long term trying to build around Harden. Uh, I thought about it more and more, though. I was like, I think Harden, there's a realistic world where Harden does get dealt. To the Bulls, it would be tough, man. Like, you're talking having to trade probably... You probably haven't. If you want to keep Zach Levine here, you're probably trading Kobe White. You're probably trading Lowry Markin or Wendell Carter Jr. You're giving up your number four overall pick, and you're probably giving up a first round pick next year, unprotected, and a salary matcher. Like that's probably the realistic ask ask for James Harden. You might get another player back just to fill out roster, uh, fill out trade uh, payroll in terms of matching salaries, but that's going to be like the asking price for Harden. Do you think that's fair or not? Yeah. I think you're pretty much on target there. And I think to me, Harden is a simpler would you or would you not than Westbrook because with Harden, you know what you're getting. They both have gigantic contracts and they've both been in the league long enough that people know who they are. But as far as most recently, Harden has been Harden, the same Harden for the last several seasons now. Uh, you know, a borderline. MVP every year who has a huge usage percentage who's going to get you his 30 some points a game this past season it was like for stretches more like 40 some points per game doing so by hitting a bunch of threes driving getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line and when he's not doing that he's kicking out to the shooters that they put around him so you can pluck that out of Houston and dump it here in Chicago and it would be exactly the same thing just with different surrounding pieces. It's the same Harden. I think wherever you put him at this point, Harden will be the same Harden. Westbrook is different because we saw a certain stretch of Westbrook this season in Houston where he was remarkably efficient and he was cutting out the bad shots and he was finding, you know, he was finding teammates, he was cutting, he was getting to the rim and like he 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 was he was peak he was peak Westbrook. And then we also saw the other version of Westbrook towards the back end of the season and then the bubble and then the Houston collapse in the playoffs where all of a sudden those awful Westbrook shots came coming back. And you were looking in certain stretches of their series against the Lakers and saying, Oh dear God, what is Westbrook doing out there? And he even admitted himself that he kind of felt lost at times about what he should be doing on the floor. So to me, that's, you know, from a Bulls fan's perspective of, you know, would you do it with either of these players? Westbrook is kind of a toss-up. What are you getting from him in the back end of his prime years? Because I think you know exactly what you get from Harden in the back end of his prime years. When trading for him, you're trading for the opportunity to say, okay, different pieces around him, different head coach. 
possibly a different style yeah and then you have to you have to deal with the consequences of what happens if he's not that same guy like when's that year that all of a sudden we see that dip in production is it going to be soon or is it going to be after the two years that he spends with whatever team in this hypothetical it would be with the bulls but i think so like that's just throwing that out there for anybody who's going to ask over the weekend about what we think about a possible hardened trade i think that's like what you're looking at though for any team is you're looking at two controllable role players that you picked out in the first 10 picks of past drafts guys like Kobe White, Lowry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. with a ton of upside you're also looking at having to trade away your lottery pick no questions asked and probably another one without protections like that's the asking price for a guy that has won an MVP before played out of his mind absolutely out of his mind in the bubble I know he had this series against OKC that he got destroyed but Still, regardless, he's still one of the best players in the league right now. So that's your asking price. Matt, before we get out of here for the weekend, I wanted to throw this your way. The... There's a website called NBA Trade Machine. If you use it, it's not the ESPN one, but it's a standalone site. It's a it's it's a awesome site to use to go to mock up trades. You want to see what you can do with the Bulls payroll system. They are they are fantastic. But they also have a spot where you can take a look at some of the most popular trades of the week. And so I was digging around last night. I was curious just to see if if there was any popular trades in here that involved the Bulls. And sure enough, one of them did involve the Bulls. So let me throw the bull, let me throw the trade at you. I won't give you my opinion. I want your first reaction on it. So it's a three-way deal. The three-way deal involves the Bulls, the Nets, and the Warriors. The Bulls trade Zach Levine to the Nets. The Golden State Warriors receive Jarrett Allen and the Bulls number 4 overall pick, and the Bulls receive the Nets first round pick this year and Golden State's number two overall pick and Karis LeVert. So you're moving up two spots in the draft. You're getting a mid round. I believe the pick coming from Philly is 18th. I'll have to double check on that, but it's a mid teens, early 20s pick. And you're also getting three uh, three years of control of Karius LeVert at $16.2 million. Hmm. I'm just double checking that Brooklyn first round pick okay so brooklyn has the 19th pick from philly via the clippers number two you're getting brooklyn's number 19 and you're getting karis lavert and you're giving up zach and the number four correct man um i would absolutely consider that trade if i'm the bulls and i it, it comes with the same caveat that comes with the i can't remember what trade hypothetical we were discussing earlier this week but i said it then too talking about a trade up to the number two pick that you would get from the Warriors. I'm definitely considering that trade. If I know that at number two, I can, I can snag LaMelo ball as opposed to Edwards or Wiseman or somebody else, because if whoever ends up picking it, number one, whether it's Minnesota or somebody else, if they take LaMelo, then I'm less intrigued by that deal moving from four to two. Uh, because I don't think I would want Wiseman or or Edwards that badly to ensure I get them by moving up from four to number two. I do really love Karis LeVert. I think he's a phenomenal player, and I think that there is still more ceiling above him. So as much as it would break my heart to trade away Zach, who I do love and respect and appreciate since he came over uh, via trade, everything he's been through, rehabbing the ACL, and carrying this team on his shoulders every night this past season. 
if I am getting another opportunity for a middle of the first round swing for AK with that 19 pick and ensuring Lamella with the number two pick and getting Karis Levert, I would consider that. What about you? I think it's the most realistic trade scenario that has been put out that I've seen put out there that surrounds Zach Levine. Like the idea that the Bulls are like, we think Zach's a great player, but we still think we're farther away than we think from actually contending and winning. This puts Zach right in the middle in a big market, puts him next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Like that's disgusting. Like the idea that they right. would or automatically you're only asking him to be the third star, not the first star. Oh man. You have a all-time defender in Kevin Durant next to you. It's just, it's insane. So he would cover up all the holes. Like Golden State is getting their center at a cheap cost that they can try in Jared Allen. I think he'd be a perfect fit in that system. Plus, you're also only moving down two spots. This is the idea that they don't want James, or maybe they do. Maybe they say, fuck it, we'll get Jared Allen and we'll also develop James Wiseman at the same time and we feel like we can get him at four. Um I think this makes sense in a lot of ways for for every single team here. And like you said, I think the caveat is here. You're moving up to two. Timberwolves are not trading out, and they're also not taking LaMelo Ball at number one. I think that would make the most sense for the Bulls. And then they also can snag one of these guys that they've been in communication with in the late teens, maybe a guy that slides that they really like. So the addition of two first-round picks, and they're both cost-controlled too, Matt, which is great. You know, as much as... We want to talk about trading for back for a star when you deal with Zach Levine. This would also be in the mindset that you're setting yourself up to go and chase a big fish over the next two summers. And I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, we talk about Zach being one of the more team friendly contracts, value contracts in the NBA right now when it comes to production versus cost. It's one of the best contracts in the NBA right now. I think you could also put Karis Levert's current contract in that category. We always say, you know, name somebody who gives you the production they give you on the money that you're paying them other than Zach Levine. I'm looking at Karis Levert's contract right now. He's under contract for the next three seasons. 2021, 16.2. 21-22, 17-5. 22-23, 18-7. Like, when you talk about the... The ceiling that Karis Levert still has, you know, he'll be 26 next season. He is still in his prime prime and getting paid 16, 17, 18. Like that, that is a value contract right there. The deal we were talking about earlier in the week was sending Lowry Market in the fourth pick uh, to Golden State for the number two pick. Uh, that was like just our conversation about like what would Golden State want from the Bulls? What would make sense? Uh, and also, too, we said you could swap Carter into that conversation and maybe you're getting something back from the Warriors that's small as well on top of the number two. But, yeah, I think that this like jumped out to me and I was like, wow, this actually makes a lot of sense. It makes sense for all three teams. It's fair value and seems like the most realistic possibility if the Bulls are ready to deal Levine. Now, I don't think I'm ready to say they are or they aren't right now and. I've said like I've said multiple times, extend Zach Levine. But if this is the scenario that you're looking at, if if they don't want to extend Zach Levine, this is one of the trades that I thought would fit for all three teams and makes a whole lot of sense for the Bulls. Um, I can't I can't wait for uh, the people to come out of the woodwork be like, oh, you guys hate Zach Levine. You're ready to trade him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Where's the respect for Zach Levine? 
The rumors are hot and heavy, though, out there right now. I mean, they're flying left and right. Like we talked about yesterday, I was on Twitter for a little bit uh, yesterday and this morning, and I was just seeing rumor after rumor after rumor, and I was like, oh my God. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm like 80% of the NBA is going to all have different jerseys mocked up for them before the offseason is over. But it's going to be an exciting and thrilling offseason for the Bulls, and I think there's going to be some moves made. And maybe AK plays it close to the chest, which makes the guessing game even more difficult for all of us. But if you've got opinions or thoughts or anything you want to talk about, you want to throw us a trade proposal, some hypothetical that you have, you're thinking about how the Bulls will approach the offseason, hit us up at 331-979-1369. On Twitter, at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Oh, Matt, before we get out of here, I, gotta, I have to put this out there. I think I have found my third favorite drop of all time from this show. Uh, one would be Pound Sand by uh, Fred. Pound the, Sand. The other one was uh, Paul Zipser, who we're high on. That's just a classic for anybody who's been listening to this show for years. Now. Paul Zipser, who we're high on. But the third and what is going to become a legendary drop on this show now, going forward, actually comes from you. I will gladly pay you a hamburger for a Larry Markkinen today. <laughs> I was absolutely dying at that yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, people uh, people were kind of uh, losing their minds about our, our Lowry stance. And, uh, like, I'm half drunk right now from all the champagne, so I don't know how to act exactly, but... Um, Anytime somebody comes at us and says that Lowry Markkinen has no value, is is not worth it, is a bust. And, and all we do is protect it. Dude, we were calling out Lowry's dog shit season every day from October to March. Oh, man. But yeah, hit us up at 331-979-1369 and on Twitter at LockedOnBulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back on Monday with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com.